Writing was always something I kind of fell back on as mine. Like this is what I'm using to go through my day. It's helping me understand the world better. It's helping me connect with people. And I use that to kind of process everything that was going on in my life. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author, Sarah Nicholas, aka literary agent, Sarah N. Fisk. Today, we're going to be talking to young adult author, Dante Miedema. Dante Miedema is the author of The Truth Project and Message Not Found. When she isn't writing, she can be found chasing her dogs and four daughters around Alaska, obsessing over aliens or embarrassing herself on TikTok. So please welcome to the show, Dante. Hello. Hello. I love your TikTok, so I'm happy that made it into your bio. I love yours. <laughs> I loved the duet that you did with me from mm. Shit Week. I was so excited about that. I was like, I really hope someone does this. And you did it so much justice. <laughs> all right, we're going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? When I was in third grade, I wrote a book called The Moose That Came to Breakfast. And I was so excited about it. And it won like an award in my class or grade school. So I, I don't remember. My mom can tell the story much better than I can. But I always enjoyed writing. It was something that I enjoyed, like creative writing classes and stuff like that. But in college, I took a creative writing class where... I did like some sort of, it was a creative nonfiction project. I wrote a short story that was related to my family. And it was about the way that my grandpa on my dad's side passed away. And it was this huge thing that impacted our family. And I wrote this story out. It was something I was really excited about. I was really proud of. And then, of course, we do the whole uh, portion of the class where we're workshopping it. And it was in that moment... (laughs) watching people react in real time and connect with it, where I was like, oh, I really want this. I really, really want this. Now, up until that point, I was convinced that I was going to move to Los Angeles someday and become a famous actress. That was my goal. And by goal, I mean, I did nothing to make that happen (laughs) at all, but it's always what I wanted. So I was really active in theater and stuff like that. But after that, of course, I did. I got married and I had kids and it was something writing was always something I kind of fell back on as mine. Like this is what I'm using to, you know, go through my day. It's helping me understand the world better. It's helping me connect with people. And I used that to kind of process everything that was going on in my life. It was about 10 years from the time I wrote that first short story and was like hooked on writing that I got an agent. Can you tell us more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author, that you wanted to see your book on bookshelves? So I knew that writing was like going to be my thing. Like I knew after that, I, I just really wanted to keep writing. I think for me, that moment of I want to write a whole book came really after my first kid was born. And I was trying to navigate like what my life was going to look like now. and knowing that it was a goal that I had, something I wanted to do for me, but also to like show my kids, like you can keep going, you can follow your dreams, you know? And I know a lot of moms have echoed that. Rocky Kalin has a really great post that she's done about it, uh, talking about 
you know, as a woman, as a mother, wanting to show your kids that you can follow your dreams, which is like the best compliment ever when your kid will tell someone else like, well, my mom did something really hard. And as a stay at home mom, that's like the best compliment, right? Like you want your kids to see you also, at least for me, I really wanted my kids to see me follow something, do something, follow through with something. That was a big part of it. I don't know that there was like a defining moment where I was like, this is, this is it. I'm going to write a whole thing and get published. I think it was just, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. Or this is like the next natural step, I guess. Yeah. So at that point, how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to query, how to do all that different stuff? I remember going to my very first writer's conference here in Anchorage and I knew nothing. I knew that I had an idea for a book and I wanted to write it. And I'd written like a couple chapters. So that's like, I'm going to go to this writer's conference. I'm going to walk in and it's going to be amazing. And I walked in and by the end of the conference, I came home and I was like, I'm never going to write a book. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to remember all the things that you have to put into a first chapter. <laughs> There's no way I can remember character and setting and like how to do all these things that you're supposed to do on that first page. Like there's no way that will ever be something that I just know. And now it's something that I do. I just know. Yeah. I remember feeling so discouraged. It took me like a year to sit back down and like get back into it because it did feel so overwhelming. All of this information, all of these words that I knew nothing about, query, all the different, like I'm talking to people at my table who are like, oh, this agency, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really popular and they know this person. And well, I just had no idea. And so I felt really discouraged. I did get involved in my local writing community and that helped. The Pitch Wars community actually helped a lot connecting with people through the hashtag and learning about querying and first pages and sharing back and forth with people. That was super helpful in learning all of those things because I do feel like doing is such a way that I learn. Actively helping people back and forth, like trading pages really helped me to become a stronger writer. I'm trying to think what else, like reading, obviously reading widely in the genre I wanted to write in and reading books on craft really helped me practicing lots of practice, lots of failure, lots of being told no and why was really helpful because it showed me what not to do. So really, I think my best advice to anyone would be just put yourself out there because it's the hardest part, but it really is the way to become a stronger writer and to get to your goal. My my thing is always don't stop. Like if you don't if you don't stop, you can go wherever you want. But if you stop, that's it. That's like the stop sign. You're done after that. But if you keep going, then you never know what you're going to be able to do, right? Yeah, I definitely remember like the first writers conference that I ever went to. It felt a bit like trying to drink from a fire hose like it was just so much information all at once <laughs> exactly and all these industry experts that know so much and you're just like a little baby writer and you're flailing and I just remember feeling like I went to the beach to get like a, a life jacket and they just dumped me with water and they were like no no here, here. we're just gonna throw you in sink or slim ladies sink or slim it's such a delicate balance too for the conference organizers because then you have like the more established writers and they're like, oh, I've heard all this before. And 
going through that journey as a writer as well is really interesting. Absolutely. The irony of it is that same conference that I went to, I ended up being a conference chair for a few years, like years. Mm -hmm. And I laughed at that moment as I'm sitting there thinking about things that we should be putting in and being like, well, we obviously need like a very basic query class, like some sort of breakout about queries. And then being like, it's the last thing I would want to go to right now at this point, but it's the first thing that I would have needed back then. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's the irony of it going to that conference (laughs) and then years later being one of the people organizing it was kind of a funny moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you break down for us your journey from, you know, first deciding you want to be published to signing your first book contract? All right. I hope you're ready for a fun ride. It was crazy. My little story. With that first book that I wrote, I took that short story and I continued it into a whole book. And I rewrote it like three times and I queried it and I queried it and I queried it to death. I wrote something else. And then I was editing another project, an alien book. And I got the idea for the Truth Project. And this is about 10 years after I had started writing. How many books did you write at that point? Had you written? Tried to write one that I never finished. Then I wrote one called A Brief Illness that never went anywhere. And then I wrote this alien book. So there were three-ish projects. I rewrote the second two a few times because it really is learning how to write a book. Mm-hmm. You have to teach it to yourself. And sometimes that means rewriting it, you know, 10 times. <laughs> but I had I'd written this book and I was editing it. And I had the idea for a truth project or the truth project. And I knew I wanted to write it, but I was like trying to force myself through the other book first. But there was just something in me that was like, no, I need to get it out now. I need to hurry. Like there's something I just needed to do it. And so I was telling my critique partner about it. And she's like, absolutely not. You're not going to shiny new idea this. (laughs) Not even. Please do not. And I was like, okay, you're right. And then I did it anyway. And I wrote it really fast. It's a verse novel. So it's very short. I think when I queried it, it was around 27,000 words. So I wrote it over the course of a summer, like a month and a half, maybe. And then of course, my advice to anyone would be get some readers. Don't query right away. I did not follow that advice. I had one person read it and she's like, you're good to go. And I was like, sweet, let's go. Let's rock. I did go through it like one time for just continuity and grammar or whatever. And then I queried almost immediately, which was terrible. Like I, I never would advise someone else to do that, but it worked out well for me. I queried about five right off the bat. Within 24 hours, I got four responses asking for the full. So I was like, it's go time. Let's go wide. Um, a little bit of a wider net. And then it worked out well. So that was in July. I finished the book. In August, I started querying. In September, it was that conference. And I was the co-chair for the conference. And we were in the middle of it. We had two agents with us. And I love telling this story. We had Clelia Gore, who is no longer agenting, but she was at Martin Literary Management. And then we had Jessica Faust at Bookends. And I was taking them back. It was like the final night of the whole, the whole thing. I took them back to their hotel and I dropped them off. And, you know, we'd had a great weekend. They were two people that I had super bonded with. They were incredible. They still are. Still text with them. Um, check in with them. They're awesome. And they get out of the car 
and they're walking up to the hotel. And I just, you know how, you know, you're waiting and you check your phone. I mm-hmm. get my phone and there's an email from Louise Fury at the vet agency. <laughs> I open it up. It's like midnight in New York. And I look at it and it's saying like, you know, I just finished reading. Are you still seeking representation? Kodiak Jones is a total Kavinsky, Peter Kavinsky. I am dead. I am dead. I am deceased. Like, let's jump on the phone this week to talk. And I'm like, oh my God. And I just, I don't even know what I was thinking. I just got out of my car and I was like, ah. <laughs> I couldn't even talk. And Clelia turns around and then Jessica turns around and they like come back and they were like, we thought someone died. <laughs> Just sitting here, like staring at my phone, shaking, and they read it. And then, of course, we couldn't just, you know, peace out after that. They took me out for champagne. Uh-huh. It was it was such a cool night, and they were like, "It's so cool to see it from this end because we see it as agents, but we don't see it on your end what that looks like." So it was really just an awesome moment and like a bonding experience forever. So then, of course, that next week, I took the call with my now agent, and she was so incredible. I had a few calls that week, just following up with other agents. And it was such a weird experience to be kind of flipped on the other side of it. At that point, going from being a contestant on The Bachelor to being The Bachelorette. And now the cards are kind of in your hands. And it's a weird kind of shift in experience. After that, I signed with Louise. Uh, We did just another quick round of copy edit type stuff, but that was it. And then that was in, I signed with her in September is when she offered representation. I signed with her early October. And then later that month, we went on sub. In November, like mid-November, she set up an auction for the end of November. On November 30th, it was the day of the auction. It was so cool. I was so excited. I woke up, I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. I'm going to take like a nice hot bath. I'm going to relax because it's so much earlier here than it is in New York. I dropped my kids off at school. It was very dark because in Alaska, it's very dark in the morning. I dropped them off at school. I dropped some dry cleaning off and headed back home. My husband had just gotten in the night before he was traveling. And so we had two kids in school and two at home with my husband. And as I'm driving, I'm on the phone with my friend like my AirPods and I had just talked to my agent. She'd given me the first like round update. So I call my friend, the one friend that I'm telling this all to, and I'm sharing just little snippets and I'm so excited. And then all of a sudden something starts happening with my car and there's like a thunk, thunk. And I'm like, what, what is my tire blown out? Like what's happening? It's a slow road. It's in an area that's like 20 miles an hour because it's a school zone. And then all of a sudden, all the snow from the trees just falls at once. <gasps> Everyone's brake lights in front of me go red. And I'm like, this is it. This is the apocalypse. <laughs> this is what happens right before that scene in Walking Dead where it's just all cars on the highway. This is it. This is the end of the world because I'm drama. <laughs> and the world is shaking. Like I can see the road ahead of me. It's just like, thunk, thunk, thunk. and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're having a huge earthquake. At that point, I get off the phone, obviously. I call my husband. I try to call my husband. I can't get a call out because the phone lines are all down. And finally, my husband gets a call out to me as I'm driving home. And all I can hear is this one screaming. And I go, did we just have a massive earthquake? And he goes, 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's bad. (laughs) And it ended up being a 7.2, which is crazy. I get home that day. We go immediately to pick up the kids from school because school was out for about a week. I think I pick up our kids from school. My husband works in public service, so he had to go to work that day. I was not able to get a call out to my agent until very late in the day. We all ended up at my in-laws where we had like a fire going and we were all kind of hanging out. And my husband's cousin was in town and he had Verizon, which has way better coverage than AT&T. I used his phone and called Louise and she's like, oh my gosh, just shared the whole day's events with me (laughs) at that point the auction was over it's like seven o'clock she's like I just need to know what do you want to do and so we talked for just a couple minutes and then I went home and I was able to get service at my house for some reason at that point and we chatted again while I was I'll never forget it I'm discussing the the book deal with my agent while I'm trying to get water out because our water they were worried about the water lines going down or something like being tainted. And so I'm just pouring water into my sink to boil, like in buckets and pots and stuff, just getting it all out so we could boil it and have it just in case. And talking about the book deal. And my father-in-law's just sitting beside me, kind of like laughing. He's like, this is so weird. (laughs) Like, this is the glamorous life of an author. (laughs) And then fun story, the day that my contract actually came in, which is months later, because it takes a long time to negotiate these things and like whittle it down. The day my contract came in, I print it off. I'm at home. I sign it. And I kid you not, I go from signing, like I'm right here, I'm signing. And then I turn around and I don't remember, gosh, she's probably four at the time, is sitting there at the kitchen table with me and pukes. And I went from signing to catching puke in my hands. And that is what I always tell people about the glamorous life of being an author is Finding a contract at the same time you're catching someone's vomit. The glam life I live here, here with the four kids. So it's interesting because if you tell the story of how you got your book deal, it sounds like, oh, you wrote the book very quickly. And then in a couple months you were, you had an, an auction and, you know, but then that's why I love doing this podcast because we have to talk about the 10 years Yeah, it took you to get there. Like you spent 10 years learning your craft and learning the industry Mm -hmm. so that you could do that. And so I think a lot of times we like to present these stories as like, oh, she wrote this book very quickly. She got the book deal very quickly. But like, you couldn't have done that without the 10 years beforehand, right? Yeah, everyone wants the Cinderella story. Everyone wants that fairy tale. Like, and it's part of some of the issue with our industry, right? Is that we only see the... We only see the pretty part. We only see like the fun, exciting Cinderella portion of the story where she gets to the end and has the prince. But we don't see, you know, her cleaning her stepmom's toilets for 10 years. (laughs) Just saying. Yeah. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Yes. Cordelia Koenig thought her senior project was going to be a breeze. With early acceptance to Columbia University and skating by on her sister's genealogy project model from three years before, Cordelia was certain her month-long poetry project would be less focused on work and more on winning the heart of Tundra Cove's resident bad boy, Kodiak Jones. But when her GeneQuest DNA results reveal her father is not the Shakespeare-loving man who raised her, but a musician in Seattle named Jack Bissett, Cordelia is convinced she's adopted. When she finally confronts her mother and learns she is the product of an affair, Cordelia is forced to keep a secret from the father who raised her while trying to understand the one who never got the chance. 
After talking for weeks and finally planning to meet Jack Ghoster, Cordelia signs up at the last minute for a poetry conference her English teacher has talked about all semester. With Kodiak on board to help, they've got one weekend to sneak away from the group and follow Jack's lies and figure out if he is a secret worth uncovering. The Truth Project is contemporary YA, written in a combined epistolary and verse format and finished at 27,000 words and 420 pages. A novel about love, forgiveness, and family, it will appeal to readers of I Hate Everyone But You by Gabby Dunn and Allison Raskin or Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. I am an Alaska-based writer focused on contemporary young adult fiction. I've attended the Pacific Northwest Writers Association Conference in July of 2016 and plan to attend this year as well. I'm a regular attendee of the Alaska Writers Guild Conference, and this year I'm coming back as an intensive presenter. I'm an active member in SCBWI Alaska and sit on the board for the Alaska Writers Guild. All right. Thank you for sharing. Of course. I love queries. So how has your experience been since sending your contract? Were there any kind of surprises along the way? I feel like debuting during a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there were many surprises. I don't think anyone could have seen that one coming. Mm-mm. I think it really did change the landscape for publishing and it changed the landscape for debuts. That was something that was a huge challenge and kind of felt like, you know, I did. I had that storybook up to that point, everything was going perfect. And it was like, here, Cinderella, you have your prince. Also, your prince has COVID. (laughs) (laughs) And it just, it was a little bit of a struggle because the things that I had planned for last year with the Truth Project did not happen. They did not come to fruition. There were things that I had really been excited about that I didn't get a chance to do. I am an Enneagram 7. I am always able to kind of shift and reframe where I'm at and kind of a positive spin. And I did not feel like I could do that last year. Mm -hmm. It was a real big struggle between being at home with four kids, distance learning with four kids, and then all of this with here, here are my dreams on the horizon. So up until that point, I had been, I had been writing under the gaze of getting an agent. Mm -hmm. That was it. I didn't think about anything after that. I didn't know publishers very well. I didn't know the publishing side of it. I knew the querying side, but I did not know the rest. And I was really fortunate that during that time, that book came out. Courtney Mom, her book Before and After the Book Deal. That was really helpful in understanding like kind of the business side of it. Also, one thing that I kind of had to learn about being an author and like branding, right, is that your book isn't the brand. You're the brand as an author. You are the brand. The book is the product. And so it took me a long time to figure that out. And it took me a long time to figure out how to talk about writing and talk about my book in a way that didn't feel like, hey, guys, buy my book. Because that feels really silly to me. And it's not something I, I feel good about. There were a lot of surprises between signing the contract and the day that the Truth Project came out. But I don't think it's necessarily like, it's not anything I feel bad about, I guess. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. It is time for the quick rounds. I call it author DNA. Your book is about DNA. It has nothing to do with DNA. It's just classification. So we put writers in. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I am an aggressive plotter. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Underwriter all the time. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? 4 a.m. Oh my God. 
That's morning for you. That's not night for you. Morning for me. It's the only time that my kids are not out of their beds. And it's the only time I can do this without a distraction. (laughs) And by 9pm, I'm toast. So I have to unload it. When you start a new story, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else? Depends on the story. I feel like not every story comes to me the same way. So with this project, it was definitely character. With message not found, it was definitely plot. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee, 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 (laughs) coffee, 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 coffee. When you write, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Uh, I used to prefer silence. And now I like to listen to music I've never heard before. Because if I've heard it before, I will sing. But if I haven't heard it before, then I'd been like zone out. When writing the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Okay, so I'm a huge pre-writer. I feel like my zero draft is my outline and it's just getting it down. But when I'm actively drafting my first draft, I get it down, but my first drafts are pretty clean because I do so much pre-writing. What tools or software do you use to draft? I use Scrivener. I use Word. I'm a big fan of keeping track of my timeline, especially with Message Not Found. There's some, a lot of flashbacks and stories that come up from the past. And I used Aeon Timeline to keep track of them. And I seriously credit that with not having to be on the phone with my copy editor to explain myself a lot more than I would have. I've been using Plotter, P-L-O-T-T-R, to outline because I can take it anywhere with me instead of having to have it all in front of me on the post-it notes. So yes, lots of different softwares. Yeah. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Yes. (laughs) Every stage, I'm like, this is the part I love the most. And then every past that, I say the same thing. So It's funny because a lot of people say the opposite. Like their favorite is what they're not doing at that moment in time. The part I'm doing is the one I'm like, no, this is my favorite part, you guys. (laughs) No, this is like really the favorite part though. I was just kidding last time. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential order every time. Except when editing, I will skip around. When editing, it's always one part that I really struggle with that I don't want to touch and I don't want to deal with it because I know it's going to be hard and it's going to hurt my feelings. So I leave that until the last minute and it's always the last part I work on in any project. It's the last part. That's it. Mm. So with the truth project, it was the poem at the end. And message not found, it was a letter at the end. And I knew I had to nail it. I knew I had to get it right. And I waited until the very last minute on both. Final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I'm an extrovert. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Which is why the pandemic was hard. Except here's the thing. I feel like during the pandemic, being trapped in the house with six people, that's a lot of people all the time. And I really, I really needed some me time. So I don't know. All right. So the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. So we're going to talk about the second cue. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized or did you overcome them? How did they shake out? Yeah. So I struggled a lot. I mean, anytime that you're devoting a lot of time and attention to something and you're a stay-at-home mom and you're devoting a lot of time and attention to something that is not like taking care of your kids, especially there's no like payout, right? Anytime you're investing time and energy and money into something that is not guaranteed, it feels sometimes like you're taking away from your family. And that was a really big struggle for me. And just the the unassuredness. I'm someone who really does try to look at the positive side of things. I really enjoyed querying. And I get a lot of crap for saying that. I had a lot of people come after me on Twitter one time because I said I missed that 
feeling of querying and like the uncertainty. I feel like that was for me, the biggest struggle, the unassuredness, like not knowing and sometimes not feeling like, I mean, everyone does this, right? As you're querying, you have people in your life who are getting their query, like getting success. They're getting agents, they're getting their book deal. And you're just kind of sitting by the sideline going, well, when's it my turn? But I, again, I, I still enjoy a good query letter. I still enjoy watching people in those query trenches. To me, it was like, don't want to say game because that's not the right word, but there was a certain level of strategy in it that I found really interesting and fun. And I don't know if I'm the only one who feels that way. I'm someone who leans on the positive side of things. So I had a hard, like I have a hard time pointing out negativity in an area that I found so much joy in. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. And now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is different or interesting or unique? Obviously you talked a lot about it already, but if there's anything you want to add. So I really enjoy when I'm reading a book and there is something like a unique structure. And for me, I think my quirk, my writing quirk would be that when I sit down to write a chapter, I don't just write it out. I think about all the ways I can give that information to the reader without giving that information to the reader in prose. So is it a text? Is it an email? Is it a Google search? Is it a receipt that they found? Is it an article from a newspaper? Like what can I do that isn't just straight writing? And that I feel like is my quirk. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? In my lowest parts, I always lean on my critique partners. They are the people who have been there from the beginning. They are the people that you lean on. They're the people that you are running every idea through. And for me, those are the people that I've notoriously like leaned on, especially through this last like year and a half. That and obviously like my team, right? Like your publishing team, your agent is should 100% be someone you can lean on and say, hey, I'm struggling with XYZ. And every time I talk to my agent, I leave feeling like I can do anything. I'm like, yes, I can take over the world. Let's do this. Let's write that right now. (laughs) You talked about some of them, but what were some of the biggest mistakes that you made along the way? And also, what are some of the most important lessons you learned that you'd like to share with listeners? The biggest mistakes I made were querying way too early. I queried way before I should have queried. With every project I've ever worked on, I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm just convinced this is the one. This is going to be it. This is going to be the one that gets me an agent. Uh, I was wrong most of the time. <laughs> uh, most of the time. Other than that, I think there are a few things. One, not looking at this as a business. Because it's really easy to look at this as, this is my baby. This is a project I spent all this time on. Someone will love this as much as I do. Someone has to, right? Because I connect with this. Someone else will. And that's just not true. There's a lot of other factors that go into publishing that it's very easy to forget about. And it's always something I struggle with. Just because something is interesting to me or works for me does not mean that it is going to get an agent, much less get a book deal. Uh, And that's the harder part even is someone can love something and it's still not enough to publish it. It's still not enough to know that they can sell it to other people, right? Mm -hmm. That's the hard part and the part where you have to kind of check your ego at the door and say, okay, I'm passionate about this, but it's not the right project for right now. It doesn't mean it's not the right project ever, but it's not the right project right now. And that's something that took a while for me to learn, to look at it from not a, an artistic standpoint, 
to look at this as a business and go, oh, okay, there are a lot of other factors here involved. And I need to train my brain to think like, this is a business instead of this is my art. Like there's Mm -hmm. just a difference between looking at this as an artistic medium, which it is, and also looking at it as a business, which it also is. Yeah. That's a really good thought. And like, I think of it a lot of times when I go to the bookstore and I'll go and I'll look at books and I'm like, this cover is gorgeous. Like, obviously a lot of people really like this book for it even to make it to this point, Yeah. but I'm just not interested. And it's not like I think it's a bad book or whatever. It's just, it's not for me. And so I've never really understood that writer instinct where they're like, oh, this agent rejected me. I hate them. They hate me, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, it's not a good fit and that's fine. That's okay. It's business. Period. And like a writer to write a book, you have to spend so much time with it. Not only do you have to write it and read it and rewrite it and read it and rewrite it and read it, but if it becomes a book that's published, you're going to have to do that at least like six other times. (laughs) It's just one of those things that it's hard to quantify. It's hard to explain to someone who is so invested in their story because it's an investment and you invest so much time into it that something just isn't ready or isn't right for the market right now. And that's hard. It's a hard thing to come to terms with as a writer. And that Mm -hmm. definitely is the case with the first two books I wrote. They weren't bad books. They just weren't right for right now. And that's okay. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. So who are some of the people and organizations who helped you along the way and how? Oh my gosh. Okay. So obviously my critique partners, Deborah Crossland, Vanessa Torres, her book comes out in February. You should check it out. You should. It's amazing. It's called The Turning Point. Ellen Pierce, who is another critique partner and someone I value and cherish and love. Those three have been just amazing to me through beginning and everything else. Obviously, you know, when you talk about, I feel like I am the worst acknowledgement giver because (laughs) I want to tell everyone how much I love them. And my last acknowledgements were so long. I thought they were going to send them back. <laughs> they didn't. But I think I wrote, I love you 27 times or something. ridiculous. <laughs> Obviously, my agent, I could not do anything without her. Like, she's just such a cheerleader. She's such a good support system in that way. And I always leave every conversation feeling like I can take over the world. I've really enjoyed being at Harper. They've been great. I like my team there. Also incredible. It's amazing to know that your project is in so many hands. And this is what I always kind of delineate between traditional publishing and indie publishing is when you're an independent, when you're doing it all on your own, there are a lot of things that you have to do on your own. And that takes up a lot of time. And being in traditional publishing, you have someone, you have a team of people helping you and it's impossible to do it. I can't imagine publishing right now where I'm at in life with this many children and also trying to make a cover. And granted, there are things that you still have to do as a traditionally published author, like, you know, embarrass yourself on TikTok. But there are a lot of things that I would not have thought to do that I have people helping me do. The interior design of a book is always something Mm -hmm. that comes to mind. These things like fonts, like that is something that I can't imagine having to decide on. And I'm so grateful that I have other people that are doing that for me because they're much better at it than I could ever be. And if I forgot you, please, I'm so sorry. 
I'm so sorry. I forgot my nemesis, Liz Lawson. Mm-hmm. I should thank her. And if I thank her, I have to thank Jeff Bishop. Otherwise, he I was is- going to say, Jeff will review it on TikTok if you don't. <laughs> oh, I'm so mad at him right now. <laughs> well, anyway, Jeff, if you're listening to this, I'm purposely excluding you from these acknowledgements. <laughs> Nobody tell him. Nobody tell him. I want to see if he listens. All right. Before you go, Dante, can you tell us about Message Not Found? Yes. So Message Not Found is about a girl whose best friend dies and in an effort to grieve, uses chatbot technology to connect with her. And then the chatbot reveals that the friend might have had a secret that may have contributed to her death. Very cool. All right, Dante, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with everyone today. Thank you. Thank you for dealing with the mess of my life, the chaos. (laughs) Note to self, never schedule one of these when she is here, ever. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Dante's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.